Thank you very much, Tim. And it's a, a great pleasure to be here um, on this Creation Sunday, Eco Sunday, and to think with you a little bit about God's world and our place within it. As you've seen in those two videos, there's no doubt we face a growing environmental catastrophe. It's one that affects every corner of the globe. It especially has devastating effects on impoverished and marginalized communities worldwide. How do we respond? And, and what does our Christian faith have to do with it? Before we look a little bit more at, at um, some, some what the Bible has to say, you might be interested to know that environmental scientists have been really dismayed to realize that no amount of them educating people, cajoling, bullying, has made any difference to the way people live. Uh, one scientist, Professor Gus Speth from Harvard University, put it like this. He said, I used to think that the top environmental, global environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. But of course, as Christians, we would say that actually spiritual and cultural transformations are what we're about. It's what the gospel is all about. So maybe we do have something unique to offer there are a number of biblical passages we could turn to um, to think about reasons we should give environmental care the highest of priority. But today, I want to just home in on one particular scripture, part, and we're going to read parts of Psalm 104 together. I think they'll come up on the screen, albeit, I think, in a different version of the Bible from the one I'm using, for which I apologize Psalm 104, beginning with verse 1 and then skipping on a little bit. Actually, if you have time to read the whole psalm, I do really recommend it. It's just a little bit long for a, a Sunday preach. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honour and majesty. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal, the wild ashes, asses quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitations. They sing amongst the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. O oh Lord, how many are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hands, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, 
who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Those last few verses weren't on the screen, I know, but uh, we'll be referring to them in a moment. I just want to briefly sketch out five big ideas that we can take from this psalm that I think provoke us and motivate us to transforming our thinking and action. The first is what I've called the big picture of creation. The first few verses of the psalm, which we haven't read, talk about God's cosmic creative activity. They remind us that he is God of everything in heaven and on earth, and that God is at the center of his creation. This is God's world, and despite the way humans have treated it, it doesn't belong with up to us. Elsewhere in scripture, we can read more about the purposes behind God's creation of everything in the earth. For example, in Psalm 19, we read that the creation reflects something of God's glory. The heavens are telling the glory of God, the psalm says, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. Elsewhere in the Psalms, for example, in Psalm 148 and 150, it is the whole creation that is called to praise God. That's something we perhaps think is a human responsibility, but actually the whole creation has a part to play in praising God. On a slightly different note, in the prophets like Hosea and Amos, you find that the creation also laments cries out against human sinfulness and injustice. Creation, it seems, has a voice and a purpose. The second key idea from this psalm that I want us to think about is our place within creation. A large part of Psalm 104 talks about living creatures and their habitats and their lifestyles. In that respect, it's no wonder that some people call it the ecologist psalm, because actually it is about biodiversity and ecology. Here are a few verses that weren't in what I read, just to give you a bit more of an example. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use to bring forth food from the earth. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted... In them the birds build their nests, the stork has its home in the fir trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the conies, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. It's really important, I think, to realise that we human beings are part of the natural world and not somehow separate from it. And in fact, some things that appear to set human beings apart from the rest of creation, and that perhaps a casual reading of scripture might look for, are nowhere to be found in this psalm. As the psalmist says in verse 27, these, all creatures, look to you to give them their feed, food in due season, human as well as non-human. Human beings are one species among many, looking to God for life, and food and purpose. The psalm reminds us 
that, that all creatures receive life as the infilling breath of God. All are sustained by God's provision and all, including us, return to dust on death, which is seen as part of the natural progression of life. We tend to perhaps treat those less powerful than ourselves, or we can do with arrogance, whether that's other human beings or animals. Perhaps it's time to reconnect with the earth, to rediscover our earthiness, to think in new ways about our relationships with all of God's creation. Now, in this talk, I've got three what I call pause for thought moments with a couple of questions to, to get you thinking. And I believe they're gonna come up on the screen. So the first pause for thought moment should come up now. And it goes like this. What does the way we treat the earth say about our own relationship with God? What are the consequences when parts of God's creation are destroyed by human activity or neglect? And perhaps we might particularly think about the earth worshiping. If a habitat is destroyed, how can that part of God's creation give it praise? Something to take away and reflect on. My third big idea is about wisdom. The climax of Psalm 104 is undoubtedly the psalmist's cry in verse 24, where he says, O oh Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Now, God's wisdom in the Bible, such as places such as Proverbs 8 and Job 38 to 40, is often associated with his creative power and activity, but also involves incredible attention to detail and concern for the well-being of all creation, all creatures. You can see it in this psalm. You see it in places like Job 39, which talks in great detail about the life cycle of different creatures. This is what some theologians call the vertical aspect of wisdom, God's wisdom coming on earth. It's the kind of wisdom that is ultimate, finds its ultimate expression in the person of Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God who becomes part of his creation. And that's a whole other topic. We can't go in there, but the incarnation is an incredible gift of God when it comes to thinking about the physical world in which we live. But you know, wisdom in the Bible also has what theologians call the horizontal perspective. It's about right living and wise decision-making. It's about how we live. And the two are not mutually exclusive. They belong together. We need them both. The environmental problems facing the world sometimes seem intractable. It's hard to feel that we can make any kind of difference. And this is where I think we need God's wisdom in both its vertical form and its horizontal form. Let's pray for a deeper understanding of God in Christ as creator and savior of the whole world and also for practical wisdom on how to live in a way that protects and sustains God's amazing world. And now my second pause for thought. How could you increase your own understanding of the natural world and what it might teach you about God? 
And in what areas of your life do you feel you need God's wisdom to better care for his creation? This leads me to to my fourth big idea. It's one that gets a passing mention at the end of this psalm, but it's a feature of many other biblical texts, and I think it's really important. In verse 35, it goes like this. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. The psalmist is giving a sort of a vehement outcry against human evil and wickedness. And over and over, we find that the Old Testament speaks out against two particular negative human tendencies. I think these both have a really clear relevance to the situation we're facing today. The first of these is hubris, the human desire to elevate ourselves at the expense of others, whether that's human beings or not. Hubris or self-seeking pride is a factor in wars, in human-induced catastrophes, in decisions that lead to our ever-worsening planetary crisis. It surfaces at at global, national, and local level, and in many different organizations, not least, I have to say, the church. It fuels the exploitation of people and resources by global institutions and by individuals, and promotes a selfish disregard for the welfare of others. One of the reasons I'm drawn to the earth-centeredness of Psalm 104 is that it reminds me of my transience, my dependence on God, and it offers a great counterbalance to tendency to individual pride, to the desire to accumulate money, possessions, status, or whatever. The second human predisposition that the Old Testament condemns is the way that human beings oppress and act unjustly towards others. Prophets such as Amos, Isaiah, and Micah roundly condemned their society for abuse and exploitation of the poor, for example, by land grab and by robbing the poor of their due wages. I think, as we saw in the videos, that the prophetic outcry against injustice is highly relevant to our 21st century context, whereas we saw the impacts of climate change and extreme weather events are felt most strongly by the poor and marginalised globally and within individual countries. There are many, many examples of hubris and injustice playing out today on a large scale and a small scale. They happen globally, but they also happen in our very midst. Cumulatively, they contribute to the destruction of the planet and the misery of its inhabitants. I believe God calls us as Christians to be modern day prophets. First, to lament over the destruction and the injustice and the hubris, to be mournful about it, but then also to challenge selfishness and to counter it by modeling humility and justice and living with restraint. My final big idea is about responding, how we respond. The psalm is a celebration of creator God and his providence. And so it begins and ends with the call to bless the Lord. O my soul, praise the Lord in verses one and 
35. The psalmist's response to all he's seen of God's amazing creation is singing and response. I think the psalm prompts us to notice and appreciate the intricacy, the beauty, the splendor, and even the, the sort of threat of the created world, and to lift up our own praise and worship. But also note that the earth has a response too. In verse 13, we read, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of God's work. The earth is satisfied. The word there used for satisfied is the, word, the, the Hebrew word from which we get Shabbat, translated Sabbath in, in other places in the Bible. It speaks of completion and wholeness. Just as in the end of Genesis 1, we read God's verdict on the whole of his creation. Behold, it was very good. So the earth being satisfied with God's creative activity. But finally and tellingly, in verse 31, the psalmist prays that God's pleasure in God's creation would continue. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. And in the context of the psalm as a whole, it's likely that the phrase, the glory of the Lord, refers to the whole creation. We, we have the psalm, the, the, the fullness of the Lord is his glory, Psalm 24. And it's the same idea here, that it's all that God has made somehow is his glory. And, but in here, the, the, in this verse, the psalmist longs that not only will the earth have the capacity to fully reflect God's glory, but that God will continue to enjoy and rejoice in his creation. The question for us is, how often do we human beings spoil that capacity of the earth and that delight of God? I think God laments along with the prophets, along with that prayer that we prayed, the blessing of tears, when he sees what's happened to the world that he brought into being. And this brings me to the end and my third pause for thought. Are there examples of hubris and injustice that you've come across recently? In what ways could you challenge these? And then secondly, what practical steps could you or your family, your community take to better care for God's creation and to enable him to delight in it? Let me just close by praying. Oh Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Father God, we thank you for the cosmic glory and the delicate intricacy of your creation and for everything in between. We give you thanks that you bring life into being and you take it again. But our hearts are saddened when we think of the suffering and 
destruction that our own sinfulness, our selfish pride and our neglect of injustice, neglect of justice, our, our blindness to injustice has caused. We ask you now for your wisdom, wisdom that reveals to us something more of your heart for your creation and the wisdom that enables us to take practical steps to really make a difference. Help us, Lord, to be prophetic voices speaking out in our society, making our voice heard, speaking up for your creation, for the voiceless, so that you may continue to take delight in it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.